Well, we come back to Daniel chapter 10. Uh, I guess, you know, we never, you never begin a sermon with an apology, but I guess I'm sorry that I had gotten COVID right before the holiday and wasn't able to come in. You know, and the worst part was I felt just fine. So many have gotten this horrific disease and it just knocks the stuffing out of them. And I was fine. I was like, I, I could come, Jim. I could come. He's like, no, you can't, Scott. No, you can't. And, uh, and it was the right decision, but uh, it was difficult. And I'm thankful to have moved through it and that it was a, a minor impact. I know for many it has not been. Well, Daniel chapter 10 is really the front door of the final three chapters of the book of Daniel, of this last prophecy, and this is one unit, if you will, from chapters 10 to 12, and we have rolled through and we've looked at all of these different aspects of prophecy. We've seen the two halves of the book of Daniel, how as we outline the book that that is the cleanest way to do so, to separate it right down the the middle, as I learned was one of my funnest words in high school biology that was um, um, bilateral symmetry, you know, where you could cut something down the middle and everything was equal on both halves. And um, don't ask me why I remember that. So many things I'd like to remember and don't, but there you go. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what we do with the book of Daniel. We can, we can bilaterally break it in half and have symmetry with two halves. The first half focusing on the history for the book of Daniel, and the second half focusing on prophecy. Both halves have an introductory section that introduces all that comes through the rest of the half. So chapter 1 gives us an overview of Daniel and his friends, and then chapter 2 is the introduction for the rest of the first six chapters. So also with chapter 7 to 12, chapter 7 is the introduction, and everything that is spoken about through the rest of the book is introduced in chapter 7. So now, as we move to this last prophecy in chapter 10, we have so far looked at our first point, and you see in your outline there in your bulletins, we looked at a fast time. And in that fast time, we recognize that the point of the point was that Daniel was fasting, that there was a a tremendous amount of anxiety and difficulty in his life. And as a result of that, he was fasting. And as we encountered Daniel in this fast, we saw all of the challenges that were affecting him. And then we saw this incredible picture of the pre-incarnate Christ in verses 5 to 9. And that was really outstanding for us to recognize all of those details, to see unique pieces as related to other parallel texts in Scripture, i.e. Isaiah and Ezekiel and Revelation, as those revelations of the pre-incarnate Christ were made clear to Daniel. And then last time we met, we started into our third point. We'd looked at uh, uh, that fascinating time, which was our second point in that pre-incarnate Christ. And then we started into our third point, a frenzied time. And in verses 10 to 14, we saw several frenzied details. The, the first was the unequivocal confirmation that the person in verses 5 to 9 is the pre-incarnate Christ, not the angel Gabriel and not the angel Michael. 
almost every verse showed this, but verse 13 where Gabriel received help from Michael confirms that in that second section, this now was an angelic being. And as I've discussed and argued and presented to you, I believe that angel is Gabriel from the other texts that we see in the book of Daniel, particularly in chapters 8 and 9. And I have continued to refer to him and will continue to do so as the angel Gabriel. And we also saw Daniel's great weakness and his being strengthened by Gabriel. And we saw the powerful angelic battle between Gabriel and Michael and the demonic angels called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Not because the demon is geographically limited was he referred to as the prince of the kingdom of Persia, but because of his efforts to control the rulers in Persia and all of the events that were going on in that region specifically as related to the nation of Israel. So these demonic entities were seeking to influence the kings and we know there were a series of kings. There were uh, a few Dariuses, there were a few Cyruses, there was Artaxerxes, there was Xerxes and Ahasuerus and all of these different kings through the Media Persia Empire and in each of those cases the demonic realm was seeking to influence the king to have a negative effect on the nation of Israel. A very quick recounting, as we have done several times and won't do tonight, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, show you those uh, the effect of those attacks upon the exiled remnant that was allowed under the decree of Cyrus from Isaiah 44 and 45, that these demonic Entities were affecting and influencing not only the kings, but the regional leaders against the exiles that had gone back to Jerusalem. So that's the war that's ongoing, and that's what we see being spoken about here. And this control that was going on, again, was an effort to destroy the nation of Israel. And we only need to reflect back momentarily on our study of the book of Esther. And you remember in the book of Esther, the wicked Haman. Haman was this close to wiping out the nation of Israel. The decree was out there. It was, it was a done deal. And you remember per the law of the Medes and the Persians, there is no retracting the king's edict once it's set and stamped. And Haman had basically duped Xerxes into creating an edict to destroy all of the Jews in the entire empire. And by the way, that is about the only place that the Jewish population was at that time. Once they had been taken captive, remember they had, they had come into Israel with Moses and Joshua and they were in the promised land and they were unfaithful so God allowed them to be taken captive first the northern ten tribes by Assyria and then the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin by Babylon and then Babylon takes over Assyria and now Media Persia has taken over Babylon and so all of the Jews are in this captive area 
And this would have been a full destruction of these individuals. So it was a very daunting situation. And, and it's not like those are the only times that the Jewish people have been under great threat. We know so full well the horrors of Nazi Germany and Hitler. And it is the exact same demonic influence that have continued to seek to destroy this one little nation. Why? Why? Well, because this is the nation of the Messiah. This is the promised line all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. So that has been the goal of the enemy to seek to destroy this people because, okay, now well, that, that explains what happened in, in the ancient world underneath these kings because Messiah had not yet been born. The Jewish Messiah had not yet been born. Well, how does that fit with Hitler? Well, this is confirmation for us that the nation of Israel has and always will have a nationalistic restoration in God's plan. And thus, Hitler's desire to exterminate that race would have destroyed that plan, which would have made the opportunity for the Abrahamic covenant, remember? The Abrahamic covenant, four different facets, seed, nation, land, and blessing. And that they will be a blessing to every nation. Have they been a blessing to every nation? No. But they will be. That covenant will be fulfilled. Had they have been destroyed by Hitler, that would have wiped out God's plan. Guess what? Nobody's wiping out God's plan. Not tonight, not any night, not ever, because God is in charge of all of these details. We went into Revelation 12 to see more of the angelic battle and I'd encourage you to go back and to refresh yourselves on that, on that message. It's so important to recognize the connectivity between the battle that's spoken about here in Daniel 10 and Revelation chapter 12 because they're hand in glove. And you need to recognize that so that you can see how the prophetic timetable is continuing to be proclaimed all the way through the scripture. And of course, Revelation 12 is yet still future prophecy. So all of that uh, is there and I'd encourage you again to go back and look at this important topic. And again, here in Revelation 12 are the clearest discussion in all of scripture about the battles in the angelic realm. And th- that's pretty daunting. I mean, we, we recognize that we've been told in Scripture that we need to um, uh, be considerate of those who might come to us because some have entertained angels unaware. That there are angels that are still interacting with us. And that's a very pleasing thought to recognize. And to consider that the angelic realm is still interacting in the human realm. And is, is helping and encouraging. But recognize not only are they doing that, but they are battling, they're doing battle against the third of the angelic hosts that fell with Satan. So there's a war going on out there and, and it is not pretty. And we see the effects of that war in all of these things we've spoken about. So with that, let's come back to our title, Confounding Considerations, and our theme, Three Astounding Times to Correlate to Your Life. Three Astounding Times to Correlate to Your Life, Confounding Considerations. Let's read again our text, beginning in verse 10 
of Daniel 10. Follow along as I read Daniel 10 to the end of the chapter. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. And that is, that is a stunning statement. Don't lose sight of the end of verse 14. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, who one, one who was resembling a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord. As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So we continue in our third point, a frenzied time. And with verse 14, Gabriel came, came to give understanding to Daniel. This is the third time in the chapter that this verb understand has been used. It was in verse 1, it was in verse 11, and it is here again in verse 14. That which Daniel is to understand is that this is a future prophecy. In the term latter days that we, I mentioned in verse 14 occurs 10 times in the Old Testament scriptures. And it refers primarily to the time of Christ's second coming. So it is a very isolated and specific phrase referencing not the advent and first coming of Messiah, but his second coming and return. Which means what? Here in this text and here in this phrase, ten times in the Old Testament, there was clarity that Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was coming, not once, but twice. 
Very important to recognize. And there are many other places where that is also revealed. Despite the fact that the religious elite of Jesus' day completely missed it. So this is that end times that Daniel is being told by Gabriel is the reference of this prophecy. And in verse 15, the news of that yet future vision returns Daniel to a state of stunned reality. Just as we saw him at the beginning of the chapter, and again in verse 10, only now in verse 15, he's unable to speak. Remember, the next two chapters, and this is so important to understand what's happening here, why this impact, the next two chapters, chapter 11 and chapter 12... They are the explanation of the vision. So Daniel has seen the vision. The explanation is yet still coming. So Daniel had already seen the vision all the way back in verse 1. So all of this has been exposed to him. He knows all of this information. At least he has seen a picture of it. God has exposed him to this vision to see these details. But he is baffled as to what they mean. And we've spoken about that back in our previous messages. How the text explains that he did not fully understand the particulars of the vision. So the further elaborated detail that this was all still coming in the future was big. But recognize it's not just a declaration that it's coming in the future, but it's coming in the far distant future, near the end of time, at the second coming of Messiah. That is, that is a fantastic consideration. And Daniel, because of this, is absolutely overwhelmed in his state of mind. We'll talk more about it in a minute. In verse 16, we have the beginning phrase, and behold. Now, you're all good Bereans, and you know that when you see the word behold, that we're supposed to stop and behold. He wants us to pull back what's being spoken about here. Something of great emphasis. This isn't just continual running narrative, fact, 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 fact. Now it's like, stop. Stop and recognize what's being spoken about here. And behold. And he goes on to speak about that which is to be beheld. And the phrase is one who resembles a human being. This has caused commentators to be in a Twitter more than you can imagine. Because all of a sudden, and frankly, not just commentators, I read it before I started studying like, oh, is this all of a sudden Christ again? Because what is the reference we saw back in verses 5 to 9? One like a human being, very similar in the general description. However, as is often the case, there are additional details that we don't see in our English text quite as clearly. And they give us great insight into that. The literal translation of this Hebrew phrase that in the New American Standard is one who resembled a human being is one like an image of the sons, plural, of man. One like an image of the sons of man. 
Now some have wrongly con- concluded that this phrase should be a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ because of the phrase son of man. But the plural sons of man changes that and shows that that's an incorrect interpretation. The context of this one speaking from verses 18 to 21 further shows that it is the same individual who began the narrative in our text in clear the clear back in verse 10. So it is the same individual the angel Gabriel who is speaking in these locations. Gabriel touches Daniel's lips and he's able to speak as he does so he expresses the great anguish and that he is without strength. Can you think of anywhere else in the Bible where there was a being that touched someone's lips? Hmm. Anyone? Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah chapter 6, isn't it? As Isaiah came before the pre-incarnate Christ, as we're confirmed in the New Testament, and then the seraphim does what? Takes a coal from the altar, doesn't he? Because what has Isaiah said? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I'm in trouble, folks. I'm before the living God, and I'm a sinner. I'm a man, and I live amongst men, and it's game over for me. And so the seraphim flies in and takes one of the coals from underneath the altar and touches his lips and cleanses him. Note that there's great similarity there. Don't miss when you see these similarities in the Bible. Go back and read it. Go back and read Isaiah 6 and go, wow, that's amazing. Because it is amazing. But recognize also that there's a distinction that in Isaiah 6, Isaiah's lips are touched to cleanse him Daniel's lips are touched to strengthen him so a different aspect in that touching Daniel calls the angel my lord in verse 16 this also has sent people into an outrage oh this this must be speaking about Christ that that confirms the son of man even if it was plural sons of man this still must be Christ no no The term Lord in both New and Old Testament doesn't absolutely designate God in heaven. It is a term that can mean master. It can even be a simple address of a superior such as sir. So this is not to be misconstrued as being uh, an address to God as Lord. Because again, it simply is a simple address of a superior. And then in verse 17, we see that Daniel's current overwhelmed state that occurs there is because he is talking with an angel. And thus he has no strength and he is breathless at these details. He is stunned to be able to speaking, to be speaking with the angel Gabriel. Yeah, for sure. Did you enjoy the amazing Christmas services and the wonderful job that our pastor did in bringing to light the details of Luke chapter 2 and the shepherds that are out in the field 
You know, every time when you look in the scripture and you see an interaction with an angel and a human being, they are freaked out. Guess what? If it happened to you, you'd be freaked out too, and so would I. And that's exactly what's going on. And Daniel's just like, how, how can one as a, a servant of my Lord, that is a servant of you, Gabriel, the angel, how can I be speaking with you? I mean, it's crazy that you're here. Remember Zechariah? He is daunted as he goes in to perform his religious service and is confronted with an angel of the Lord. Oh, by the way, Gabriel, yes. And so it is here. Daniel is breathless. And in verse 18, the angel again touches him and it brings Daniel strength. Then in verse 19, Gabriel addresses Daniel as he did in verse 11, man of high esteem. This address is exactly the same one that Gabriel gave to Daniel back in chapter 9 and verse 23. This is another reason why I continue to affirm to you that this individual who began speaking to Daniel and interacting with him in verse 10 is the angel Gabriel. And there, as we've discussed, are several other facets, including this title, man of high esteem. And it's a statement that shows the exalted status of Daniel before God. And this because of Daniel's absorption in the will of God, as one commentator notes. Daniel, Daniel is faithful to God at every turn, at everything that he does. Well, this is why this is such a beautiful book for us to be focusing on because in every turn, in every page, in every narrative, and in every detail of it, Daniel is faithful to God. Oh, may it be so with me. May I be faithful to God at every turn. And this is the amazing gift that Daniel is granted in this title and Gabriel next repeats his previous encouragement not to fear he's already said this to him in verse 12 and now he is saying it again don't be afraid do not fear and then he says peace be with you in verse 19 this is not a salutation or a general greeting oftentimes we do see this greeting particularly in the Hebrew world Peace be with you, uh, shalom uh, is, is the common greeting in the Israel world. But it is in a written form used with the proper name of the individual, which does not occur here. That tells us that this is not just a greeting, but this is further exhortation from his pre- previous statement. Do not fear. Be at peace. Recognize that not only do you not have to fear, but in addition to that, you can, you are safe. It is a statement of fact. You do not have anything to worry about. Do not fear. You are safe. Be at peace. And the next clause is further elaboration. Three statements back to back saying a similar thing in a different way. And the next clause uh, elaborates on the two prior, only now it is two imperative verbs that are stuck back to back. 
And that probably doesn't get you all excited sitting out there. But I will tell you, from a pastoral point of view, from someone who loves to study the Hebrew scriptures, that is crazy unique. Crazy unique to see two imperative verbs, the exact same verb, but back to back. No space, no conjunction, just two verbs that are put together in that location. Excuse me, there is a conjunction. But the same two verbs are put side by side in this text. And when he, when he does that, our translation in our Bibles says, take courage and be courageous. And you see that aspect. But it really is much, it's much more dominant than that. Our text again says, take courage and be courageous. But in Hebrew, this is literally the two identical commands and it would be most specifically translated, be strong and be strong. Now, Gabriel is not hearing this from a buddy who's saying, hey, buck up, partner. It's going to be okay. He is hearing this from the angel Gabriel. And this is not... An, an exhortation, this is a command, an imperative verb. Be strong and be strong. So don't be afraid. You're safe. Now be strong and be strong. It is an incredibly emphatic construction in these three clauses. Well, why this triple admonition? Kind of sounds like he's hammering on Daniel a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, gee, Gabriel, he's in the presence of an angel. Why this double imperative verb in the third admonition? Well, remember from a few minutes ago back in verse 15, we explained what's going on in Daniel's mind. He's already seen the vision back in verse 1. All that Gabriel explains in chapters 10 to 12, Daniel has seen and he is overwhelmed overwhelmed to understand that the affliction of his people Israel that has just been explained in specific time frame back with the 70 weeks prophecy of chapter 9 which has told him that you have recognized that you're coming out of the 70 year captivity that was prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29.10 I believe it was And now you're coming out of that, but you're not coming out. You're going into another period of captivity. And in that captivity, you are going to be subject to additional difficulty for another 568 years. From the time that he is currently at, 539 BC, until the time of the cutting off of Messiah... In 30 AD. So 568 more years of captivity. Whoa, that's a blow. Daniel's been faithful. He's been praying. He's been recognizing the 70 years is up. And he's cried out to God. God, we are unfaithful. We are not deserving. But please. And the exiles have started to go back. And there's mention of that. And there's encouragement. And then boom, the 70 weeks. No, 568 more years of judgment. And then... Verse 14, the prophecy refers to latter days, not to the first coming of Messiah, not to the cutting off of Messiah, but to his later return, to near the end of recorded time. 
And Daniel's like, oh man, my people are not going to be judged just another 568 years. They're going to be judged a whole long time. And Daniel, as a man of God who loves his people, is terrified and traumatized and awestruck. If God spoke to our pastor, and he won't, but if he did and said, I am going to judge your congregation and I am going to give every one of them boils and sores and horrific affliction until they pass away, it would wipe him out because of his love for you. Well, this is where Daniel is. He is wiped out because his people are going to get the big end of the stick for a long, long time. And because of all of this, and Daniel's blown away, he's stunned, he has no breath, he has no speech, he's face down on the ground. And so this is what's happening in verse 19. Again, for the third time, he's strengthened by the angel Gabriel, first by touch and speech in verse 10 and 11, then by touching his lips in verse 16, and now again by speaking to him in verse 19. And Gabriel's discourse continues in verse 20. Then he said, Do you not understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. Gabriel's question to Daniel is rhetorical. How do we know that? Because he's already answered it. He answered it back in verses 12 and verse 14. Look back there. The end of verse 12. I have come in response to your words. Do you know why I've come, Daniel? I've come because of response to your words. Verse 14. I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. So I've come because of your cry to the Most High God. And I've come to tell you what this vision is all about. But he asked the question. And why? Because Daniel needs to be reminded. Daniel is, um, he's out there right now. He's reeling. I mean, if there's a point where, where, where you're in trouble and, and I don't know what's going to happen next because I'm kind of at wit's end, that's where Daniel is. And so Gabriel asked the question to remind him and because of his state of shock, to remind him of what's going on around him. And that is that the angelic realm is fighting for Israel. Gabriel and Michael are fighting for Israel. This through the period of Esther, through the period of Ezra, through the period of Nehemiah as we've discussed. And that period, by the way, over 200 years. And this is the battle that Gabriel has referenced against the prince of the kingdom of Persia. One demonic entity that is continually trying to uproot and to turn over all of the kings and all of the different individuals that have any interaction with Israel. And then after this will come the prince or ruler of Greece. 
Again, this is the demonic realm which will work through the powers of Greece against Israel. We know the prophecy that we've spoken about, how it clear back to Nebuchadnezzar's vision, there was the five material statue representing the different kingdoms that would come. The head of gold, Babylon, the shoulders and breast of silver, Persia and Media being described by the two parts. The bronze belly and legs of Greece. The iron feet, iron legs, lower legs and feet of Rome. And ultimately then the Antichrist in the mix of clay and iron. So we know that Greece is next coming. And the angelic realm has been fighting against Persia for Israel. And they're going to continue to fight against Greece. This is mentioned here. Because chapter 11 is going to take us into the battle against Greece. It's going to tell us about what's going on with the Grecian rulers. It's going to talk to us about Alexander the Great. It's going to talk to us about how his kingdom is separated into four parts. It's going to talk about the war within those four parts. And which kings are going to be dominant. And particularly it's going to take us to a ruler that is well documented historically called Antiochus Epiphanes IV. The one who desecrated the temple that Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt by sacrificing swine on the altar of God and by bringing in idol worship into the Holy of Holies. So that's why it's here. And in verse 21, we get the continuation of Gabriel's response where it says, However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Gabriel is going to to Daniel and he is going to tell him what is contained in the writings or the book of truth. This could also be well translated as covenant of truth. It is the word katav where we come up with the term covenant. So this could be the covenant of truth. And as renowned commentator C.F. Kyle notes, this phrase means that this is the book in which God has designated beforehand, according to truth, the history of the world as it shall certainly unfold. End quote. Gabriel further tells Daniel, Daniel that Michael is also engaged with him in this battle. Michael is described as your prince. Why is that? Because Michael's specific role is to safeguard the nation of Israel. Okay, let's just back up for a minute. Michael is from all indications that are indicated to us in scripture, likely the most powerful angel. What is his job? To protect the nation of Israel. If Israel had no future plan in God's redemptive purpose, would he put the most powerful angel in charge? I don't think so. No. Michael is there because he is carrying forward God's plan of redemption begun in Genesis, established through Moses solidified under Abraham and brought forth through the children of Israel. 
The same word for ruler or prince from verses 13, two times, and verse 20 is used here for prince. And again, it's clarifying for us that this term is speaking about angelic powers. In the previous usages, the demonic realm, and now the holy angel Michael. And he is specifically identified as prince over Israel. And it is both Michael and Gabriel that are engaged in this battle. And the verbiage here in verse 21 makes it sound like no one else was available. Oh, this is all we could get. Don't misunderstand that. If that's how you're reading the text and that's how I read it, so maybe you did too, that's not correct. What it's telling us is that no one else was necessary. These two Angels, they got this. There's no problem. Michael and Gabriel don't even mess. They are fully in control. And that's what we're being told in that verse. So recognize that that's what the verbiage is speaking about. That none others are needed here. And these were two of the mightiest angels and they were fully sufficient for the task. Now, although a chapter break occurs here, there is a clear continuation into chapter 11 and verse 1. Look at it with me. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. The chapter break here occurs because it seems like perhaps now Daniel is speaking. This is not Daniel. Gabriel is continuing his discourse. The first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Who's him? Michael. The last one mentioned at the end of verse 21. Is Daniel going to be an encouragement for Michael? (laughs) No. (laughs) Daniel has three times been so petrified with fear he couldn't speak, couldn't move, was on his face, is totally out of commission. He is at wit's end. Now this is Gabriel still speaking. So there's a continuation here that is so important. The first year of Darius the Mede further confirms that because that is two years earlier than verse 10, the third year of Cyrus. Remember our little chronology chart? Don't, get, don't go home, don't leave home without it. Because it tells you exactly these time frames. And we see that in the first year of Darius is two years prior to where we were at the beginning of chapter 10. So this is giving a historic reference to what happened. The first year of Darius the Mede, again two years earlier, back at the same time detailed in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. If we were to look back at Daniel 9 and 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, you can say, oh, well, there's several Dariuses, and you'd be right. The son of Ahasuerus of Median descent. Where does the term Darius the Mede come from? Boom. Right there. This is still Gabriel speaking, and he goes to be an encouragement to protect him. Who's him? Again, it's Michael. Gabriel is going to encourage and to protect Michael, the archangel. Now, I earlier encourage you to go back to Revelation 12. When you start to take time to dig slowly and purposefully through the, the discussion of Gabriel about the war, the demonic war that is going on in the angelic realm and you connect it with Revelation 12, and you see, first off, 
at the beginning earlier in, in Daniel chapter 10, Gabriel is left alone and Michael comes to be with him. Now we're hearing that even prior to that, Gabriel went to help Michael to encourage and protect him. How does one angel protect another? Is there a danger that an angel could be, could be injured, could be damaged, could be killed, could be destroyed? I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, it is fascinating to consider and it's all right here. So Gabriel is speaking and this is a massive battle that's been raging. Beloved, this is a massive battle that has been raging from the foundation of time. From the beginning of creation. From when Satan fell and took a third of the angels with him. And Gabriel is beckoned to protect. Now we're going to continue into chapter 11 vision in two weeks. Because I'm going to go see my grandbaby next week. And I'm pretty excited about that. And next week you are going to have a really wonderful privilege. Nate Castillo is going to come. And he is going to take what we've been talking about in Daniel. And he's going to synthesize it in a theological presentation with respect to the rest of scripture. So he's going to tie all of this that I've been taking days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years to get through. And he's going to give us a broad overview of it. So that's going to be fantastic. And then I'll be back and we'll dive into that vision. Well, as we continue in this vision in chapter 11, uh, in two weeks, recognize that we can see right now the correlation in our lives so clearly. Can we not? Do you ever find yourself fearful? Do you ever find yourself not feeling safe? At the world and the attack that's around you? Recognizing that the same enemy that's against God is against you and I? The same admonition holds for us. Be strong and be strong. God's got this. Nobody is diverting his plan. No one is thwarting his sovereign guidance. He is moving every piece exactly as he wants. Every chess piece is going exactly how God wants it in exactly the time he wants it to go. Oh my goodness, I'm so concerned about what our president is doing. I, you know, and it's something we get more drawn into, I think, as we get older and we watch the news. And, you know, my dad sometimes is just overwrought as he watches some of this stuff. And I'm like, Dad, God's got this. So whatever's going on in your life, whatever challenges you're facing, be they spiritual, be they emotional, be they financial, be they medical, God has got this. So rest in him, trust in him, grow in him, love him, stand for him, be faithful to him. Be a Daniel in your life, in your community, in your family, and in this church. Because that's what we need. And that's what we all need to do. So may God strengthen us to understand and carry that forward. Amen? Father, we do praise you that you love us so much. We praise you that you have done all things for us through Christ. We praise you, Lord, that although we are often feeble and weak and, Father, unable, that your word tells us that when we are weak, you are strong. Help us to be strong in you. Help us, Lord, to recognize that you have opened our eyes to the truth of your Son. 
You have placed upon our lips the only name that has ever been spoken by which men can be saved, that in heaven or on earth. And you have not placed it on our lips so that we would know this sweet taste and savor it for ourselves, but you have placed it on our lips so that we would speak it because others need to know. Lord, help us to not be afraid. Help us to move forward in your strength to proclaim the excellencies of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.